Our previous transmission mode was too primitive to be received. I am now programming our computer to transmit lingua code at their frequency and rate of speed. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Oh, on the Starship Enterprise, there's someone who's in Satan's guise. Whose devil ears and devil eyes. What happened? The occipital area of my head seems to have impacted with the arm of the chair. I found this in uh, Ganner room. Ganner mirror. What is it? Well, it's, um... That's green. Mr. Spock has orders to kill you, Captain. He will succeed. Apparently. Not a magician, Spock. Just an old country doctor. Of course, Doctor. The Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. A very nice place. I've got to catch. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Hello, and welcome aboard the USS Third Degree Burn. I'm your captain, Tim Elliott, and with me, my number one, my first officer, Brian Hughes. Thank God I'm not number two. <laughs> well, hey, Tim. How's it going? <laughs> it's going. Well, see, I'm the captain because I don't want to leave the ship. I want to sit in my chair and send you on all the away missions. Well, that's cool. Let you, I... let you deal with all the aliens. All right. Well, that's, that's great. That's great. <laughs> Do I get a Federation Express card? Sure. Yeah. Don't well, we don't, we don't use money in the Federation. You know that. <laughs> Everything apparently is either free or is provided for. So how do they open trade with the Ferengi? I don't know how that works. Nobody has ever taken the time to explain how money works in Star Trek. They talk mm-hmm. about money when there are times when they talk about money. Then there are times like, oh, well, we've we've evolved past money. We don't we don't worry about that. It's like, okay, then how do you when you go to another planet? They're not gonna, they're not part of the Federation. How do you buy anything? Well, that, and that's the thing. You got writers that basically sit there and say, you know, we're high minded, we're all this, but we can't explain how they're actually all this. Yeah, it's like we don't have money, but we're not going to take the time to bother to come up with an idea. Maybe they saw a deal in Quatlus, you know, Quatlus or Quatlus. Gold Press Latinum. Gold Press Latinum, exactly. I'll take the Gold Press Latinum any day. <laughs> all right. So, what we're going to do tonight, Brian? <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to tell our little listeners that this is the first in a series of shows celebrating Star Trek. And as many of the listeners know, uh, this year Star Trek turns 50, uh, along with Brian and myself. And we are going to be celebrating, actually, more precisely, John Byrne's Star Trek. Because John Byrne has done a lot of Star Trek, both his photo novels and the actual drawn work. And we are going to celebrate that for all of 2016. Uh, 2016, and we're going to be adding these shows to our regular list of shows. So you're going to get like a it's like a bonus show for Star Trek. And I think I'm gonna let Brian tell you now. <laughs> what? Yeah, now you know it's it's one of those things that's kind of interesting in that when Byrne started doing Trek, uh, now of course he did the the Doctor McCoy stuff, but if you look at the the other stuff that he did, Romulans, the Hollow Crown, that whole Romulan ponds of ponds of war 
series and then the the crew with uh, number one from the cage and then uh, assignment earth you know he stayed away from the main characters kirk spock mccoy and all that except for you know mccoy's series which was you know that later parts after the after the five-year mission or second five-year mission if, if you sure. believe that but that is canon and got the bearded mccoy and i you know the one thing that, that burns said was that he really wanted to stay away from doing those characters because he doesn't like to do photo referencing too much because after a while, you know, it wears thin and you start seeing where everything's coming from. And I think that giving McCoy the beard, um, got him away from having to worry about being photo referenced so much True. because, because he could just draw the, the, the older gentleman, older thin gentleman with, with the beard and, uh, get away with it. You could sit there and go, okay, that's Dr. McCoy. Cause when you look at anything that he did, that, that is, you know, photo reference, he does really, really good work. Oh, he does uh, great work. Yeah. And then we'll talk about Indiana Jones at some point. Um, but you know, again, he didn't want to sit there and have to do Kirk, Spock, McCoy on the enterprise proper as his regular artwork, because it would still be so much photo referencing. Now he did, uh, Mark Leonard and Sarek and, you know, he did, um, it seemed like he did a lot more freehand with the Klingons, you know, Kor, Koloth, and uh, yeah, Kor and Koloth, and, and the other ones. They're a little more. They're a little more character uh, caricatured. Yes, that's the word. Than the uh, than like you say, McCoy. He's doing D. Kelly or uh, Major Barrett. He did the whole series with her. He seemed like he would pick one actor that he would have to photo reference, and all the rest are just generic, you know, kind of burned characters. I thought he differentiated his, you know, number one away from Major Barrett in a, in a great way. But it's enough that if you saw it, you would know that's Major Barrett. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, I understand, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, it was one of those things where he did more freehand than he did photo referencing. I don't know if he's ever I wouldn't even go so far as to say he's photo referencing referencing. I think it's more he's certainly capturing the likeness, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, he may have a photo there when he's doing it, but it yeah, does. He, that's what he said is that he's sitting there doing it, but he didn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do it so much that you're going to sit there and recognize, okay, that pose right there comes from here. That pose right there comes from there. When you look at Keith Birdsong's work that he did on the, the covers of the novels, you can pretty much tell, okay, that came from this episode. That came from that episode. Right. I don't think Burn ever, if you look at his work, I don't think he was ever capturing taking uh like a still shot of someone from an episode and, and drawing that he just does he can it's a lot like someone who does caricatures he they capture the you know the for the better word the essence of someone's face the features that make that person look like that person and he just draws it i think he's that good of an artist he's not having to no he's he said that he did it in fact if you look at his uh who's who entries so he was copying poses yeah Oh yeah, his his con is just like right out of the movie. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's already uh, he's already not doing that when he's doing this later IDW work. I don't think right. that doesn't he's, feel that he's way. He's trying to not do that because he wants it to. You know, he wanted wanted it to be original. But when he came to to this, now what was happening is that he started it out as a fun diversion. Uh, you know, just in between his other projects, and it just kind of snowballed on him to become this thing. And he realized, Hey, I've got a passion for this. This is something I like to do. And, and this puts me in a position where I don't have to sit there and photo, you know, do these characters, uh, as you know, original art all the time, because 
you know, it, it puts him in that spot he doesn't want to be. So by doing it with the photos, he can sit there and, and, and make these photo montages and do all the things to make it all fit. Uh, I think we'll, we'll see here tonight how well that works in, in, you know, in regards to, to certain details. And, and we'll get into that when we get into the book. Yeah. I mean, it's just an artist using a different tool to tell his story. It's, that's, I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's still an artist. He's still telling his story. He's still laying it out like he would if he was drawing it. He's still writing the dialogue. He's just using a different tool. Instead of pen and ink, he's using pixels. Using well, there's Photoshop. Such, there's such an, a love for the original crew and the original series. And while the, the Star Trek movies are doing really good in the theaters, the staying power with the fans, I don't know if, you know, if it's as good enough, especially with the last movie. This right here fills that gap of, of what we're missing so well. It gives us original stories that feel like Star Trek as it was when it was on TV. I mean, I'm sitting here reading this and I can hear the musical cues in my head. But true. I, I, when I was reading it, I hear the actors' voices. Unlike if I was oh, yeah. writing a comic, when I read his comic work, I don't hear those necessarily hear those voices. But this, absolutely, you hear Kirk and Spock and McCoy, Scotty, all the rest of them when they're delivering this dialogue because he has such a good ear for not only the characters and their dialogue and the, the type of storytelling that was going on in the original series in the 60s. Yeah, well, I think, you know, as, as we go through the story, we're going to talk about musical cues and stuff that, that we might have heard at one point or another. But it'll, it'll definitely be be interesting. Anyway, so he, what it was is he did this uh, first one. Well, actually, he started with uh, doing a recreation of Where No Man Has Gone Before. And he realized that there was, you know, because he liked he liked that one. There, as, as he said, it, there was a visual rich richness to the second pilot that drew him in. And that was one of the things that, that I loved on the original series myself was in the cage and in uh, this one here, you know, it had a different look than the rest of the series did. And I think they even still use these uniforms when they made the Corbomite maneuver. They were similar. Or transitioning between the, the turtleneck style and the, yeah, know, they, I think they had the black, they had the black collars in Corbomite, but they didn't, uh, they didn't have these, the uh, same color, like these tunics are the kind of the same. They don't have the black collar. Right. Right. But, um, you know, I, I always loved that period for whatever reason. I even read the books like The Rift and by Peter David and others that, that covered that that in-between period there. And uh, I, I always liked that. There's something, you know, just so different about the way that was put together than how the rest of the series was put together. But the characters were still, you know, Kirk was still Kirk. Now, Spock was a little different, but, you know, not so much that you didn't like him and didn't 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 like the character. I mean, I, I still love that, that one moment when... Spock comes around the corner and he's got the phaser rifle. <laughs> well, these early these early episodes, I'm a quote another podcast, uh, uh, which I will plug. It's called Mission uh, Mission Log. It's a great Star Trek podcast, and they refer to the uh, early first season and this pilot as Enforcer Spock because Spock was always the first to say, "Well, we got to kill it." <laughs> logical. It's yeah. logical. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I think they were exaggerating his coldness, and they, he was such a uh, a reflect, you know, not a reflection, but a contrast to how emotional, of course, Bones and Spock were. I mean, Kirk, but Spock was was really they haven't he hadn't quite found the character yet, but yeah. it's it's close. It actually is now known as Star Trek: New Visions, 
which are the photo novels or uh, Fumetti books that John Byrne's doing, uh, making original series episodes uh, using, you know, photo montage. And basically it's kind of like taking Photoshop and editing the episode as storyboard pictures. Now he started out in um, with this story, Strange New Worlds, which uh, was actually uh, an annual uh, for 2013 for IDW. And then after that came the series. And this has actually been reprinted in the trade paperback, which includes this along with the Mirror Cracked and several other episodes or issues. And I, I can't I, – I have a hard time making a distinction between episodes and issues. Yeah. But it, this is – you know, and this is what I was getting getting to earlier. This is that thing that we get because we can't get the original cast back to make them. The only other time that something like this was tried and it was a different medium altogether was Interplay's making of The Secret of Vulcan Fury. Are you familiar with that? I have, I've never even heard of that. If you get a chance, uh, once we're done here, go to YouTube and type in The Secret of Vulcan Fury. And you'll see a trailer for a game that never got released. Uh-huh. And it was a game that was placed in the original series... And they had all the voice actors, and this is before Divorce Kelly and um, uh, Jimmy Doohan passed away, uh, you know, back then and others mm-hmm. since. And so they were able to create three original series episodes, uh, Bijo Trimble, and I, I'm not sure if David Gerald, but I, I believe, well, I know Bijo Trimble was one of those involved in writing the stories. And so they did three original series episodes, and everything was all CG. Uh, the Enterprise was gorgeous. And you, you, you'll watch this trailer and you're just like, wow, this is great. But they ran into trouble with the gameplay and they wound up shelving the game. And so all the cutscenes that they've done, all the movie that they had made in making these episodes is done and in a vault somewhere at Interplay or whatever's left yeah, of it. So they decide to... And I'm just it. like, someone needs to go to them and buy that or get them to to finish it, rework it and finish it and put it out there as animated episodes because it's Trek, it's real Trek. And, you know, the only other thing that we're going to get that's this kind of real Trek is what Burns doing right now at IDW. Well, you do have, and I have never watched them, but they have the, is it the new voyages, the fan films that are very professionally done? Yeah, they're the fan films. But what I'm talking about is where you see William Shatner's Kirk. You see Lenny Right, right, right. Yeah, you're either going to see it this way or you're going to see it in a comic book, a drawn form. Right. And and so that's, you know, that, that's the last piece that we'll ever get where we actually hear their voices and see them on the screen as they appeared back then. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a Doctor Who connection here real quick. All right. This is similar to what Who fans, which is from the end of the original series in 89, and I'm sure people are yelling at me if I get that wrong. I think it's 87, 89 when the Sylvester McCoy went off. And when between that and when the new series uh, came about, they had, of course, you had your Fox uh, Doctor Who movie in there. Who fans refer to that as the wilderness years, meaning there's no who. You have, you know, there's no new who, except for the uh, audiobooks. It was, uh, mm-hmm. what's the company that puts them out? It's, um, I'm blanking on it. Somebody's screaming it. There is a, they put out, and the original actors came back and did voices. So you got Peter David, oh. you got um, Sylvester McCoy, and they kept the original companion characters back, and they were new st- great. stories. I know. 
But that's all. That's what you had to kind of live on until New Who came around. And to make a further connection to Who, well, Byrne pulls most of these images from a site called TrekCore.com, mm-hmm. which they somebody's gone through and they've done what are called uh, telesnaps of each episode. And if anybody's ever watched a what's called a reconstructed episode of Who, which are the episodes that were when the BBC erased a lot of their tapes, they erased and lost. Uh, a, lot, oh, a big, man. huge chunks of uh, William Hartnell, uh, big chunks of uh, Patrick Troughton. But they had a, for some reason, they had a policy of that when the show would air. Somebody would just sit there in front of the TV and just took shots of the TV every three seconds, five seconds, something like that. Well, there's wow. a there's a there's a group or company called Loose Cannon that has created uh, reconstructions because some. Some fan was smart enough to record all the episodes when they originally aired, and they've taken those recordings and telesnaps, and they've recreated episodes. You can go on YouTube and watch them; they're free and they're great because that's the only way you can watch them. And that's similar to what because these are telesnaps that Byrne is pulling all these images from. So this is our this is my long roundabout way to say what you just said. <laughs> this is yeah. This is uh you know this is the only way we're going to get uh, any new Trek. With you the know, original actors. And, and it's it's sad, you know, for me that you're sitting there and talking about Doctor Who. Do you know how much Doctor Who I've watched? Uh, it sounds like very little. Zero Doctor Who itself. Wow. Um, now, I have watched multiple seasons of Torchwood, even the season that aired on, on Stars here in the U.S. Um, I don't know how it was. I got introduced. Yeah, I think it was the... Um, the American version with Captain Harkness and, mm-hmm. and the, I forget what, what her name is, come over to the United States and get with Mackay Pfeiffer and this other other group of people. It was really an interesting thing because basically everybody stopped dying. Yeah, I've heard Torchwood, at least maybe it's the season you're referring to, is, is really bad. I've never watched any of it, and I'm not a huge New Who fan. I'm a big fan of the original series. Well, you, you know who John Barrowman is, right? From uh, Arrow? Yeah. Yeah, he was Captain Harkness. And basically, yeah. he, he became as popular in fandom as uh, Mal Reynolds did. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so it's like, I was just like re- re- really surprised because he's, he's kind of like a mix between, and I'm blanking on the actor that plays Mal Reynolds right now. Um, uh, the guy from Castle. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he's kind of like a mix between him and Christopher Reeve together. I can see that. There's a little hand solo thrown in there, too. Yep. Nathan Fillion. Yes, Nathan Fillion. Good gosh, I don't <laughs> know what's going on with me tonight. My my memory is just not there. All right, so. Do you want to take us into your uh, that's, that's what I'm going to do Synopsis. Here. Yeah. Uh, Strange New Worlds, photo novel. Uh, like I said, it was in the 2013 annual. It's a direct sequel to the original series, second pilot where no man has gone before. And I'm sure everybody knows the whole story about the pilots. You know, they made the cage. Everybody said it was too cerebral. So they made a second pilot, which is something the networks just never, ever did. And they really don't even do that today. No, I think there's been maybe one other occasion where they've done a second pilot, but this is the only one that that really comes to mind. Uh, Writer is John Byrne. As far as art goes, it's not really art per se, but a photo montage. And he also did the lettering or letter art. Uh, the book was edited by Chris Rial. Star Trek, of course, created by Gene Roddenberry. 
based on characters created by Samuel A. Peoples and dedicated to the talented performers, craftsmen, and technician whose work is represented here. I thought that was a nice dedication for Byrne to put in. Mm-hmm. And he did put in a special thanks to Risa Kessler and John Van is it Sitters of CBS Consumer Products for their invaluable assistance. This is 48 pages, and it cost $7.99. And even today, I sit there, I look at that, and I just balk. I, I cannot bring myself to usually spend $8 for a comic book. But I said to myself, it's John Byrne, it's Trek, here's my money. And in my my mind, it delivered. It, it does. And like I said, it's almost 50 pages. It's, it's kind of a deluxe uh, square back kind of bound edition. So it's mm-hmm. a nice format. Yes, Color's yes. great. All right. Here is my synopsis. <clears throat> the Enterprise receives a signal from Delta Vega, the planet where Gary Mitchell and Dr. Elizabeth Daner died in the TOS series episode where no man has gone before. Kirk orders the Enterprise to return to the planet. Sulu, Scotty, and others all volunteer to go down to the planet, but Kirk only takes Spock and Dr. McCoy. Once on the planet, Kirk splits off from McCoy and Spock and goes to the grave he left behind. Graves he left behind. Let me say that again. Kirk splits off from McCoy and Spock to go to the graves he left behind. While Kirk is walking to the graves, Spock and McCoy begin to check out the cracking station, while McCoy goes over what he read of the original adventure there. Spock notices that there's been a change in the signal that brought them there. He informs Kirk, and Kirk orders Spock and McCoy to return to the Enterprise. They go to beam up, but something pulls them away. As Kirk gets closer to the graves, he notices more and more vegetation, including the Kafarian apples that Gary Mitchell was so fond of. He arrives at the graves to find a large garden is formed around the area, but not too near the graves themselves. Before he has time to explore further, Kirk finds himself transported back to the bridge of the Enterprise, but the bridge as it was four years earlier even before the initial incident on Delta Vega. The Enterprise is involved in a battle with the Klingons. They fight the Klingons off, but Gary Mitchell winds up trapped in a section of the Enterprise that has been opened to the space, opened to space by the Klingon disruptors. Kirk orders a younger Spock to the transporter room to track him by the communicator he takes with him. Kirk makes his way through the damage to the unconscious Gary Mitchell and grabs him just as the atmospheric shield gives way and they are blown out into space. Kirk has just enough time to order Spock to beam them out as soon as he grabs Mitchell, saving his life. Just as Kirk and Mitchell are beamed back aboard the Enterprise, Kirk finds himself back in the garden on Delta Vega. Gary Mitchell then appears in the air as a face in a, in a formless fog. Kirk is able to communicate with Gary, who asks Kirk why he saved him, yet killed him. Back on the Enterprise, Sulu, Scotty, and Chekhov discover the Enterprise appears to be stuck in a white void. As they try to maneuver out, Captain Kirk appears on the bridge again. Scotty tells Kirk how Spock and McCoy were taken away on the transporter. While Kirk is getting status from Chekhov and Sulu, he figures that the white void is a simple illusion and orders Sulu to lead, uh, leave them, leave back the way that they came. It works, and the Enterprise returns to normal space. Kirk prepares to beam back to where Spock and McCoy were. Spock and McCoy, however, find themselves on Demoris, the planet where Gary Mitchell took the poisonous arrow intended for Kirk and witnesses the act firsthand. After the incident, they find themselves back on Delta Vega at the Dilithium Cracking Station. Spock senses Gary's presence and is able to mind meld with him, even in his current non-corporeal state. Kirk arrives from the Enterprise and tries to talk to Gary to get him to remember his human side. Spock aids the mind meld between Kirk and Mitchell. Kirk finds that at the moment that he thought he killed Gary by crushing him under the huge boulder, Gary was reborn as a being of pure energy, but fading, 
so he bonded with the planet. He could only keep his keep to his last thought, kill James Kirk, so he lured him to the planet as soon as he was able, but he hesitated in killing Kirk. Kirk seized on this hesitation to point out to Gary he'd evolved beyond human pettiness and the need for revenge. Kirk convinces Gary that he can be so much more if he were to just let go. Let go and become one, not with just the planet, but with the whole universe. He does. He is gone, and he is happy. As happy as a universe can be. Kirk beams back to the Enterprise and immediately contacts Starfleet to inform them about the true details surrounding Gary Mitchell and Dr. Daner's deaths. Starfleet doesn't punish Kirk for his falsifying his log entry, but they do tell him to not make a habit of such things. After all was said and done, McCoy asks Spock, with all the mind powers Vulcans have, why weren't you affected by that trip through the barrier? Spock simply answers, I wonder, Doctor, why you assume I wasn't? Da, 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 da. The end. Now, um, when I read this, I read this from the trade paperback. And um, before the actual story started, there was actually a uh, one-page pieces of the action that John Byrne had done, inserting his younger head onto everybody. Yeah. And um, I found that rather disturbing. <laughs> well, he's not quite as successful. Maybe he's trying it out, but he's not quite as successful putting his head on. Well, I, I think that was his point. I think he was making a uh, point here that you know he had to do a lot of manipulation to get everything to match, to get everything to look right. And here's what it looks like when you don't try that hard. Right. Well, for one, he's dealing with, for most part, he's putting the same actors in on either another body's. So the lighting, and he's mentioned this in his in his uh, robot burn robotics that he's looking at that for the first season. Most of the lighting was consistent. So if you're taking somebody off this, taking him out of this scene and putting him over here, or taking a face off and putting it out of the body, the lighting is going for the most part is going to match. Yeah, I don't know how much. Just speaking from as a graphic designer or somebody who spent a lot of time in Facebook, so it's interesting for me to read this because I can see, well, th- I know how he did this and that this is how I would have done that. And I've done a lot of this stuff tried by manipulating stock photos and such, but you mean, I don't know. You mean Photoshop? You said Facebook. Did I say Facebook? Yeah. I meant Photoshop. I'm sorry. I figured you meant Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. I meant Photoshop. I, I don't know how much experience he had. And if this is his first attempt at Photoshop, he. He picked it up pretty good. I mean, it's not perfect, but for someone who's worked in it, he's done a pretty good job here. Well, you know, in, in my looking at it, it just looks, you know, it's like I'm sitting there going, well, he just, you know, he got that picture and he put it there. But come to find, no, he rebuilt the bridge, you know, inputted the characters as he needed them rather than finding whole scenes where they were all there where he needed them to be. And in essence, he did in this what George Lucas did in the prequel trilogies where he would sit there and say this, well, actually this character shouldn't be here. They need to be over here. And he'd have them, the, the computer take them and move them from one spot to another to make the scene make more sense. Right, And you could see that, that he's taken some, some it's more obvious than mm-hmm. others that he's taking somebody. And in the, the scene on uh, Demoris is probably the least successful part of this book because he was really having to build that out of the whole cloth. He was really having to build that back, those backgrounds didn't exist. And he was having to take characters and manipulate them from, you know, the, that's, those are characters from where no man has gone before and some from the cage. And then he's putting them on the backgrounds that he's found that look like Vasquez rocks. Yeah. Now, if we look at the, the first cover, 
for Strange New Worlds. And now, as it appeared in the comic book, you know, it had the annual 2013 and all that on there. It had a lot going on. But when you sit there and you look at the one that comes out of trade paperback, they've taken all the text off of it. Right. So you just see the Enterprise, the Klingon vessel, Gary and Kirk and them. And it just brings glaring attention to, you know, a couple things. Number one, Shatner's got a lot of makeup on right there. Around his eyes, definitely. Yeah, just making his his eyes pop there. And Gary Mitchell, if you just blot out his eyes, he sure does look like season one Riker. Yeah, kind of. Maybe. I, I, Maybe. I, I, you know, the thing is, it's funny because when I saw Next Gen and there was an episode, uh, was it uh, Hide and Q? Where the, no, it was the one where Q gave Riker the power. The I powers. think it is Hide and Q. And it was funny because when Riker had the Q power, he reminded me of Gary Mitchell. And so it, it always goes back and forth. But the, the even funnier thing is Carl Urban, who plays Dr. McCoy, when they started showing the pictures of Star Trek before it came out or you even heard him talk as Dr. McCoy, he looked like Gary Mitchell to me. He looked like, you know, Gary Lockwood here. I can see that. He could have he could have done. I think he does a great McCoy, but he could have done if they were, say, bringing in if they were going to replay this in the movies, he could have played that yeah. character and see. Yeah, I think one the things a couple of things they missed a, a good opportunity with was, you know, making you know bringing in Gary Mitchell or even Finnegan, but then again, Kirk apparently in this one got into the academy a lot earlier than he would have, uh, you know, in, in 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 the new movies that is, and you know the the circumstances surrounding him were completely different. So I don't know if there was a Finnegan or not. I know in the the originals episode where no man has gone before they established that kirk and gary have known each other for 15 years yeah so and later we find that kirk is 34 so that makes mm-hmm. him what 19 when he was i guess yeah in the so academy? he would have been in the, yeah. in the academy and yeah they would have just met and yeah yeah the, the only thing on this curve the, the only thing that really pops out to me is look at kirk's expression it looks like he was just caught doing something he shouldn't be doing <laughs> yes. i don't know what it is but he's like whoop yeah yeah <laughs> And then the, the the Enterprise, of course, is just so gorgeous there. And of course, I've always, I've got a soft spot for those Klingon vessels too, because I, I made the models when I was a kid, so it's like I knew those really really well. The the D sevens. Mm-hmm. Yep. All the Matt Jeffries designs are just. I mean, I think the Enterprise is was way ahead of its time. Yeah, it's just still a fantastic between this and the motion picture Enterprise. Yes. Two of the best starship design or ship designs there are. Yeah. Okay, so as we go into our first page, we get to the tease. And uh I mean he starts it off like a Star Trek episode. You got your captain's log, your establishing shot of the Enterprise, and her telling him, Hey, we got a signal coming from here. As you see, you know, Spock talking and everything that's going on here, there's nothing that's too distracting at most except for what I think is Scotty at the back on the bottom left panel. And I, I don't know if it's just his shirt is too red because he's trying to color match O'Hara from up above, but it's a little jarring there. I think it's because his head's cut off and you yeah. and you naturally, your eye wants to fill that in. <clears throat> this looks odd that he's sliced his head off. But that scene looks like, I can't tell if he's put Chekhov there. It looks like Chekhov is probably not in that pose or not in that shot and he's... He's photoshopped him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell. Some, like I said, some of this is just very obvious. You can tell. Well, he changed this. He changed that. But yeah. Now, when Spock says Jim, it's Delta Vega. 
Did you hear some music like dun 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 dun? dun? <laughs> well, probably that would be. I think if this was a show, that would be the the break before you went to. They would probably have more dialogue before they got to that point, and he would say, "Jim, it's Delta Vega." And then it would be a close up of Kirk's face, and you hear that you know that that Kirk or that Star Trek music cue that I can't repeat, I can't imitate it. But that you know that dramatic music before you go to the opening see, uh, credits. I I almost see it like at the bottom of this page. He says, "You know, um, do we have a choice, Mister Sulu? Make your course for Delta Vega." That would be the moment where he would just turn and walk off the bridge, and you'd hear dun 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 dun, mm-hmm. and it would trail off, and then you get you know the space, the final frontier, and then as you come back, you get your captain's log, another establishing shot of the Enterprise coming into Delta Vega. It seems like that's the way it would have would have done, and you would have had your 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 commercial break right there. <laughs> you could have done it there, yeah, yeah. And that second panel, you know, everybody else looks pretty natural in there except for Kirk. He looks like he was put in, and that hair is, and that's that's something that's going to be the telltale heart on every one of the images is the consistency of Kirk's hair. Well, yeah, the the and that's what I was noticing the biggest. The, we're talking hair. Third, this is after third season, so this is after. I guess this is a, it's all, this opening is after all the other episodes we've seen. Well, season three, Scotty had a kind of swept back hair. Yeah, and he doesn't have. He's got season one and season two hair throughout this whole thing. No, which seasons did Kirk wear the wraparound? I think he started it in season one. I think he wore it throughout. Mm-hmm. Um. Both first seasons, I, I honestly can't tell you if he did it in third season or not, but I know he did it in the first and second season. Talking about the green green tunic wraparound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the green tunic wraparound. I always thought that was cooler than just the gold shirt. Well, it was cool. It's kind of like that jacket they gave a card in season yeah. four or five or six or whatever where he kind of wore that kind of Yeah, was, season five. That more, it was more of a jacket. It opened up in the front. You know it had to be hot under all those lights and everything. Oh, all these are. If you ever watch these on Blu-ray, you, you see every pore, you see every little drop of sweat, every. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've I've watched the um, the original series on Netflix in uh, high def, and you mm-hmm. definitely see a whole lot. Of course, it's also the the improved ones where they've uh, improved the special effects and all that. Right. The uh, and I've really enjoyed those for the most part. They are they're very good. They're not they're not. The way they don't do what a lot of the effects from the special editions of Star Wars that people thought they were a little obtrusive. Mm-hmm. The ones in Trek seem to blend in. Okay. Now, I, I notice here, and this is on uh, page six, as they come into the transporter room, uh, you don't see Mr. Kyle's face. And I'm wondering if that was a, a rights issue there. But I guess we'll find out later. Because, I mean, they, they show the back of his head, and Scotty comes in and takes over right away. It could be he just didn't have he couldn't find a shot, a particular shot. He talked about when he was first deciding to do this that he his he thought his method would be to go through and collect all these images and then mm-hmm. instead of writing a story and then going looking for the images, he would cut them out and collect them and sort them and organize them so that when he would write his story, he would know to go back and okay, well I need this and this and this and kind of do them like puzzle pieces instead of looking for him after the fact. I guess we'll see on, uh, I mean, I'm 
trying to remember if we do see Kyle later. And I guess we'll find out in a little we bit. I read do. this a couple times, but I don't have a like a photographic memory of it. So, but you know, looking at the uh, the next page where it's got basically Star Trek created by Gene Roddenberry, it's got the credits and everything, you know, down there. And you've got that great matte shot from Delta Vega where you see the cracking station. It looks like five Jupiter twos lined up ready to go. <laughs> They've always looked like like, oil ref- like an oil refinery to me. Which yeah, that gets what it's supposed to be. Yeah, but I, I I love this because he's sitting there and he's gone from the matte painting up to a certain point, and then he's finished the rest of it going on up into the sky. But I'm just not sure where the scene was where he took over. Uh, it. Must be just above the towers. Well, if you look right above the towers, you see that uh, horizontal line. He didn't cover that up very well. There's a horizontal line that runs right across where he's probably, that's where the clip piece he had, and that's where he put the sky in the background. He should have erased that and blended it in. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Okay. He's a hack. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. But, I mean, you know, everything here looks really, really good and consistent as we go on to the next page. And Kirk splitting off from McCoy. Now, I think that he probably could have had, like, on the shot of Spock and McCoy going there, at least showing Kirk walking off. Because you just have him telling him, no, you know, I'm not offering any choice in this matter, and he's going to do his own thing. And boom, there you see them just walking along the station. Yeah. And he's gone. They could have at least shown him walking off or something along those lines. It just... um. It was distracting to me. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, it's it's nice. You can tell that season one lighting yeah. when you would do those close-ups on their face like that. And then we kind of get into the whole, basically a recap. A, re- a recap of the almost the entire episode. And it's a nice recap. He's done it. Which that, yeah, that yeah. Was, must be easy for him because he's basically pulling these shots whole shots he doesn't have to build these shots he's just having to right now i do have one thing to say about the about this recap and that is the galactic the barrier the galactic barrier now some people have always you know been on record or in different places saying you know why didn't they just go over it why didn't they just go under it and i think it's one of those you know false horizon things you know that you see where no matter what angle you're going at going at it you're going to see it it's going to appear horizontal, but as you get closer, you're going to find out that it's actually all encompassing. All encompassing, and the if you watch the special, not the special, the the remastered, mm-hmm. they kind of they try to imply that they have the barrier. Seems they have a shot of it going into it, and you can see it's much larger, and it's it's more of an all encompassing type energy field. Yeah, yep. And there they are in those older costumes. And you notice that Spock's has the the zippers on the shoulders, mm-hmm. and the women's have theirs on the back. You can see they have a zipper. Yeah, but like with Spock, they had to do it that way so they wouldn't mess up his ears. Oh well, Kirk's got his zipper on his. On, you can see it's on the shoulder too. That's hmm. a, that's space zipper. Space zipper. Space yeah, but zipper. like on the bottom of page ten, there on the right, you can see on Spock's. That's just oh, yeah. like really obvious, and you don't see it being so obvious on Kirk's or, or the others that are sitting around him. I'm still, it's like, I, I wonder that the contacts that they use for Gary Mitchell, if they were really, really uncomfortable, because it looks like they just put tinfoil on the contacts. I don't you know? know what those are. They're, they're, oh, they're so effective that you get the creepiest eyes, but yeah, I don't know what, I think it's a type of mylar or something that when they shine a certain light on it, that's what gives it that reflective yeah. effect. Yep. And then Sulu in the blue is Mr. Astrophysics. 
Yeah. Well, in the uh, he's a botanist, I think, in the Man Trap, or that's his hobby, at least. Yeah. But and I'll say the the uniforms for this first episode are much more muted than we would get. Even the blues don't seem quite as bright as we get later with uh, McCoy and Spock. And you know, there's the absence of red shirts. You've got. Yeah, well, you know, and, and this is something that, that I'd read about, and I talked to a costumer uh, by the name of Elmer Sweat, uh, who works at the Wax Museum uh, here in, in uh, Irving, or Dallas. And he was saying, you know, it's like, you know, they made the costumes real vibrant and everything. But once you get the heavy lighting and everything on them... It, it probably washes them out. It washes them out. And it's the same thing with the next-gen ones. The, the ones that... Um, Jordy and Worf wore in third season. When you saw them up close, they're actually more of an olive color than the the beige that you see on screen. Than gold, yeah. The light the lighting just changes it so much. And, and that's what's happening here with this. And so when they went to when they finally, you know, got the shirts that they did, they went with even more stark colors that would contrast with everything. And so it gave you a, a lot more vibrant primary colors there. Well, I've been I've I've read that if you watch because Star Trek was obviously in color, but when you, if you watch it in black and white, a lot of it was shot to look good because think about when this is, you know, of course now we assume everybody's got a color TV, but back then not a lot of the homes had, they had black and white TVs. So they had to light it in certain ways and to shoot it in certain ways, I guess, especially light it so that it would look good on a black and white set. I've never watched it in black and white, but I hear it's actually quite, quite uh, beautiful. It looks great. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure it would be. I mean, I watched the one of the first episodes I watched, I watched on a black and white TV when I was a kid. And I want to say it was The Naked Time. Yeah, it was The Naked Time. It was the first episode I actually remember watching, watching a black and white TV. Um, while you were talking, I uh, did some super zoom on the uh, gravestone, and it is still the James R. Kirk gravestone. James R. <laughs> he, he didn't fix that. Well, that's that's cool. Well, I thought it was interesting if you read when he was considering doing this and he was on his message boards basically you know, asking fans, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? That he was going, he was kind of self-imposing his own rules. Like, can I go outside, use images of an actress or actor that appeared in the show but not a Star Trek episode? Can I only use... It kind of not change anything. So it, I thought it was odd that he was trying to create his own rules for when he, if he, if and when he did this. Cause I would think, well, just use whatever looks good, you know, use, he considered it kind of cheating, I guess. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's got that, that sense of honor in that, you know, he's, he wants to do things a particular way. And I, I think what he's doing is, is he's implying the golden rule. He wants to be treated a certain way. And so, therefore, he's going to treat everybody else the same way. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, it goes along with his little dedication. That's you know, this is dedicated to all the technicians and hardworking mm-hmm. people. I think he wants to honor them, like they. Right. This is their work, so I want to preserve it as much as possible. Instead of trying to bending the rules to make you know accomplish my goal by kind of cheating what they did. So I think that's. I think that's probably what he's as an artist. He probably has a great respect for these artists that produce right. the show. So I agree. Uh, I agree. Uh, let me ask you, this is not anything to do. Well, it kind of has to do with this uh, episode. 
Because I rewatched uh, Nowhere No Man Guys before before we we start recording this. Was Gary Mitchell was he seduced by this power he was given, and that's why he turned evil and he couldn't handle it, or do you think he was possessed, sort of parallax-like, by some force that caused him to turn evil? I think it's when you look at people in any situation, and we saw Gary as he was there, you know, on the ship. He was, uh, uh, you know, a Lothario. He was, uh, you know, the captain's wingman, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what he was. And he was a kingmaker, kingmaker, a puppet master. You know, he, he did a lot of things and, and that showed, you know, that I, I don't want to say a moral ambiguity, but you know, there was, you know, moral differences between him and say Jim Kirk. And they just expanded upon that. It's kind of like we I talked, I talked before on other things that we've done about, you know, the hormones of a child. And experiencing, you know, every emotion, everything that you experience 20,000 times harder than what we remember. And if you're sitting there, a normal human with normal emotions, sitting there all of a sudden gaining all this power, the, the fog of what is important and what isn't important, uh, really, you know, especially at the very beginning, is going to make you go crazy. Yeah, I can say, I mean, at the heart, this is... With absolute power, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and that they're showing that he, you know, he he didn't, as Kirk says, he doesn't, he didn't gain the wisdom to deal with his power. He's suddenly given right. to it, and he that's why he was kind of seduced. He was seduced by the dark side. If you want to go use that, the reason why I ask that question is when he first when they got him behind the force field, when he first challenges it and tries to get his way through, and it drains him, and he falls back, and his eyes turn normal. Mm-hmm. He has that kind of a, lo- a lost look, right? He's kind yeah. of like Jim. What's what's happened to me? Almost as because to me, if he suddenly lost that power, it wouldn't necessarily change his personality. He still kind of, or at that point, already become. But see, the thing man. is, he didn't just lose power. He lost perception. He lost so much, and and you know, in that moment when he shrunk back down to the Gary Mitchell that he was, it's kind of like you know, someone hit Control Alt Delete on you. You know, you reset there. You're you're like, what just happened? And your mind can't possibly comprehend the things that your mind was comprehending just a moment before. It's like uh, Banner and the Hulk. You know, Banner can't remember exactly what's gone on while he's the Hulk. You know, to him, it's all a jumble of flashes and all sorts of, you know, super sensory input that, that yeah. his mind in its current state can't possibly comprehend. And so Gary going back to normal, being normal, Gary is not going to be able to comprehend just what was going on with himself a, a few minutes before. I could see sense? that. I, yeah, I could see that, that he would be like losing a sense or suddenly maybe going blind or suddenly, I guess if he was at that point kind of re- already reaching out and trying to, and his mind was expanding and he was operating at a, a much higher level than everybody else. And if that suddenly cut off, that would be jarring. I, I can see that. I just yeah. always wondered about that because he has such a. It's actually a, great, a very wonderful scene. He had, it's you see a lot of pathos in his face. He's like, you know, almost a. You expect him to say, "Jim, you know, help me. You know, do something yeah. about this." Almost, almost, you can almost feel he's like 
yeah, you better kill me now because I can't control myself when I revert back. Right. Now, page 13. And I'm going to derail us back into the story. No, that's all right. <laughs> but, but page 13, and I'm wondering, you, know, you, you say that he pulled these directly from the 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 shots taken because that's well he said he he pulled them from trek.com and i've i've been to the website and it's just screen snaps of the episode now the one that that made me sit there and wonder about this is the one where he's firing the laser laser rifle mm-hmm. because i i remember when he fired laser rifle it didn't seem it seemed like they showed him then they showed what he hit but they didn't have a shot like that one right there where gary's trying to get out well, he could have. He could have added the 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 beam, and he could have probably added that explosion. Yeah, because the explosion itself looks computer generated. Yeah, he could have added that part. before, because I think you're right. When he's firing, it's a reverse shot. You're you're the the camera's on Kirk when he's firing. Yeah, and there's a close up of the rock, and then a rock plummets down on top of him. And as you go up and down this page, you notice how obvious that phaser rifle is in every image that it's in. I mean, in those two. Those two panels there mm-hmm. at the top, it's like, hey, there's the phaser rifle. Hey, there's the phaser rifle. So you, you can't <laughs> miss it. And I'm wondering if that's burn, if that's the way you know it looks in the actual episode. That doesn't have to go that, back and watch it. Now. Yeah, that doesn't look fake. Uh, but probably this scene was happening so fast, you probably didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. You see, hopped out of there because it's always always bugged me that Gary. One, if he's that powerful, why can he just? He's obviously he's already had super strength. He just hop out. He has so much. He has so much. Uh, it was so difficult for him to try to get out of this grave. And of course, obviously, it has to. It has to go that way for Kirk to do what he does. But yeah, he has to think like a man. It's not like Galactus, you know, not having to sully himself by by <laughs> dusting himself off or, you know, having to pick himself off the ground. He just yeah know, makes himself. But he's still, you know. There's parts of him that still think as a human, physical physicality. He doesn't think of himself as the luminous being that he is. So, uh, paraphrasing Yoda, <laughs> uh, there. Um, again, this next page here, page fourteen, is, is almost unremarkable. It's obvious to see, you know, there's some little uh, what I would call, you know, uh, Photoshop looks, especially with the cracking station behind Spock and McCoy, and the middle of the page for whatever reason. Instead of making me think of a, a photo novel, it almost makes me think of uh, Alex Ross, his work in like Kingdom Come and other stuff, the way Kirk looks there when he's looking down at the communicator. communicator. Yeah. Instead of looking like it's a photo, it looks like Alex Ross painted it. But you can see right there the, the, in the, that shot and then the one below that um, there's something definitely different about the hair. Well, that shot in the very bottom, he's obviously not there. He is... It yeah. may be that that's just pulled from and one the lighting is differently. And as you say, his hair is different. That's just pulled from, that's just a scene he needed of him speaking on the communicator. Yeah. See, there's Kyle. Oh yeah. There page he is. 15. Yeah. There he is. And his, yep. uh, he's on his regular outfit. He's in his little jumpsuit. The, yeah, the engineering, uh, what do they call it? Tunic engineering tunic. Whatever I don't know what I think it was from it's, the Starfleet Technical Manual, that, and I'm talking oh, about the yeah. old Starfleet Technical Manual. Yeah, the old one. Yeah, and is that is that data cards down there on the transporter in front of Kyle? It looks like them. It looks like the green, yellow, and yeah, whatever they're like. Their uh, little floppy disks are. I even like at the top of the page how it shows the Enterprise coming around from the dark side of the planet. Mm-hmm. The yeah, he's probably put that on there. He's probably added that shadow to the 
Because I don't think they ever showed that. Now, based on that image of Kyle, I'm betting that that episode comes from the Assignment Earth episode. That uh, that shot of Kyle. It has to be because it's got the food processors behind the, him. The food replicators, yeah. yeah. He makes the chicken soup for the for guy. The guy. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely see some some specific scenes that he's pulled. Yeah. I got a question on when I understand when they're trying to beam up and then it looks like I guess my question is where is where are they going? Did they think they beamed up or did they actually try to beam up and Gary Mitchell has pulled them away because when they kind of come out of this their little uh illusion they're still on the planet like they right. never so I don't, I can't tell if he's if this is all an illusion or if he's actually yanking them intercepting the transporter beam and yanking them into like a limbo or something. That's what it seems like this in the, in the ship too, when it, in the bottom of page 16, like it's going into nothingness or some kind of a, uh, a, yeah, a blank and, spot. And, and all that's an illusion. So they don't realize, you know, I mean, they think they're beaming up and all of a sudden they wind up where they wind up and it's just the way he transitions them. But I, I don't know if, if, if the, 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 it looks like the transporter beam got them and then he pulled them back. Yeah. Because but, otherwise it would make if, more sense for him not to have caught, you know, caught them in the transporter beam. Right. But why would you show Kyle in the transporter room actually trying to beam them up? And same with Scotty, if they weren't actually doing that, or if it's, or if maybe that's part of the illusion too. Yeah. How do you like the Dutch angle burn used on that that uh, middle panel there on sixteen, just above the Enterprise where Sulu and Scotty are there, and it's yeah, turned like a Batman episode. Well, yeah, I wonder if he did that. On, yeah, I guess he did that on purpose. It's to fit Scotty into the frame. It's to fit both of them right. Because otherwise, you would either lose Scotty's head or you would lose Sulu's head. But it yeah. works. It works because, it, one, it helps to give it a sense of uh, disorientation because the Enterprise is, again, it's getting pulled into the nothingness or the yep. blank or, or the whatever, it, whatever Mitchell's, you know, his subconscious or whatever he's creating, his pocket universe or... Yeah. So on 17, we see Kirk coming into the garden area. This is the garden spot of SETI Alpha 5. <laughs> oh, man. In SETI Alpha, Alpha 5, there was life. A fair chance. Is this SETI Alpha 5? And um, you see that Byrne has created a grave for Dr. Daner. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's fairly obvious. That's, that is pretty like, obvious, yeah. I don't worry. He's... The phaser looks like it was added in as well. The one on his belt? Yeah. Uh, I bet you're right. That does look... Yeah, that looks... And, and that's the thing. When, you, when you're reading this, if you're, if you're not willing to let a lot of this stuff kind of pass, then you probably shouldn't be reading it because you're not going to enjoy it if you try to, you know... Yeah. I mean, we're taking a hard look at it and, and you know, I mean, as much as we do with the regular artwork. So I think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to see things here that, that we didn't on the original reads or cursory read. And I'm sure this gets better as he goes along. I'm sure that like any skill is going to get better as he does more of it. Yeah. And then there's this juxtaposition on the next page where Kirk appears on the bridge of the Enterprise, but it's like four years before. And he's in his current uniform where they're in the old uniforms. And it just it's, it's jarring there behind Mitchell. But it makes sense, you know, within the story itself. Well, it's it's kind of a quantum leap style. They see him as his original form yeah and now my thing was did he simply 
do the things, do his actions over exactly as he did them, or was he compelled to do those things and simply experiencing it again? Well, the dialogue seems to say that he not sure what's happening, so he thinks he has to follow through and do what happened before, except when he goes to look for Gary once the the hole is... I mean, I, I, it's hard to tell what's happening. It looks like they just drilled a hole kind of through about nine decks through the through the bridge and through just straight down. Yeah. He seems to know when he goes in there, he seems to know exactly where Gary is because he's already done this before. Yeah, and of course it shows them in a battle of the Klingons, but I thought that wasn't Errand of Mercy the first time they met the Klingons? Not or is the, that just the first time on the series? And it's the first appearance. Number of dealings. Yeah, they've that's the that's the first appearance. I don't they because they they they're familiar with the Klingons, but that but I was wondering about this because I I've, I've tried to research it. I can't find out if this is based on something like something mentioned in an episode or something mentioned somewhere that because everything else burn is kind of referencing what was spoken in an episode or mentioned and i just wonder if this is just a excuse to uh, have a battle scene with the klingons or well they wanted to they wanted to show kirk saving mitchell right so that he could ask him why did you save me and yet kill me do you think that's what this these two that's why mitchell keeps pulling up these memories is is he's doing that or is he trying to make kirk because each each memory is Kirk saving Gary from what could have been or, death. Or, or Gary saving Kirk. Yeah, Gary saved Kirk, but still at right. the end Kirk saves Gary. Right. Is it to make is it to make Gary, uh, Kirk feel guilty over or are these just the two strongest emotions that survived when Gary has ascended to this other level of consciousness that he like, is trying to make sense of of Kirk's actions. You know, he doesn't remember or doesn't comprehend the fact that he tried to kill Kirk in right. his in his in the state that he's in. So he's trying to understand why did this guy save his life and then try to kill him or kill him? He actually killed him. Yeah, you know. Mm. Well, I was wondering that's why maybe that because Kirk says later that well you've you've evolved past being as you said petty. You've evolved past that. You just hasn't. You haven't quite realized that you've evolved past that. Right. And maybe that was the last before he his physical body died and he made this transition. Perhaps that was the last emotion that was so strong in his within him that his hatred of Kirk and wanting to kill Kirk. That's what survived, and that's what has survived yeah. for these three years while he's been merged with the planet. But when he finally gets there and he's trying to make sense of everything, you know, it's like that's why he's hesitating. Is because is is that human side that or that yes human side shows him look you know he saved you and then he killed you figure it out figure it out you know one thing I, that I, I'm having a memory of is in the character Lee Kelso um, we only see him in the one episode mm-hmm. you know because he dies yeah right because Gary Mitchell kills him with the wire and everything and yet he's a very memorable character and I, I mean he he actually looks a little bit like Trip right there in that one panel on the. Right side of page 20. Um, If you ever played the original Star Trek, the role-playing game, they actually use Lee Kelso in the years before all that happened. He's, you know, someone that you're, you're running with Mm -hmm. before you get assigned whatever vessel you get assigned to. Interesting. And they, they actually used him as one of the, one of the NPCs in there for you to, to work with. He is a very, as you say, he is a very well established and 
created character for him to. Well, he was he was a buddy of Mitchell's, you well, know, out, outside of Kirk. Yeah, I mean, compare him to say Scotty in the episode. Scotty is doesn't have a lot to do. Uh, the doctor, yeah, the doctor's pretty well established, but of of the ones other than the main, the mains like Kirk and Gary and Spock. Right. Yeah, you're right. Mitt, um, he is the most. If I have him, maybe they did that so we would feel his death more. Right. I mean, he was effective. He was very good at what he did and he was very efficient. And you know, he was the one that gave um, Scotty the stuff to sit there, put back up on the Enterprise and get working again. Yeah, he's almost more Scotty than Scotty is in this episode. Well, he's just efficient at what he does. Yeah, he's almost more because he was running, the, I guess, the engineering crew that was down on the planet pulling all these parts yeah. they needed to make it work. And then I guess Scotty was, you know, of course, it seems like the only thing he had to do was slide it in that slot and it worked. Yeah. So Kirk pulls this little maneuver on the Klingons and gets past him. And then they do something that we, I don't recall them ever doing in the original series. And that is channeling all their power into a single narrow beam to burn through the shields with pinpoint accuracy. As Spock says on page 21. Nah, that that just sounds like something. That sounds kind of like fan talk. That's like, well, how come they would never do this? It's so. it's the it's what they needed to to make this story go the way that Burn wanted it to go. It's your yeah, you know, do sex machina. You know, yeah. it's it's just what what's needed to make the story move ahead. And it's better to do something like that than to make one of the characters here do something that would be out of character. Now Spock looks so funky there on page twenty one. The way the lighting and everything go. Once again, it looks more like an Alex Ross. Mm-hmm. He's done. Uh, he's had some kind of an, uh, some kind of filter. Effect. Yeah, some kind of filter. There is a filter that you can put in Photoshop that gives you a kind of a painted look. Yeah. Now I love that shot up above it though, where the the explosion. Yeah, the explosion and the coloring, and I mean that looks more like a comic book scene than it does a Star Trek. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But look at the the bottom panel left on same page. That's a very leisurely evacuation. Like, I know. Yeah. I was thinking that each time that I read that, I was thinking that. And then that one crewman to the left of Kirk there, is he an Andorian with hair? I don't know. He's Yeah, he does look like he's got kind of bluish skin. A blue complexion. And then no. the guy between Kirk and Spock, his shirt is a little bit more devoid of color than Spock's. That looks like that shirt's painted in. Yeah. There's no tone to it. It's a solid color. But you'll see that later in, uh, well, not in this one, but the the... Some of the other photo novels, he's, you can see he's kind of painted in particular yeah. colors. And because you can see the, the 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 panel right next to that, the, the lighting does not match. Look at the, he's got Kelso in the middle and it just doesn't match with yeah Spock and Kirk. And uh, the guy that was in the episode, but I can't think of his name, the guy in the blue. Yeah, I, I don't recall him. He was there. He was on yeah the bridge, I think, when Scotty was putting the new components into the console. Yeah, yeah. Of course, on the next page, the top three panels are great. I like all those, but when Kirk goes into whatever that is, the room with it look, looks like the room that you can see down into yeah the other this, rooms. This is where this is where he had to think creatively and mm-hmm. try a lot of different things. And I don't know if he pulled it off that well. His rubble doesn't look whatever that yeah torn twisted metal. I don't know where he got that image from, but yeah, that's not. That's to me, it looks that. like to me it looks like a bunch of plants got knocked about too. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's what he was he was shooting for. I couldn't tell. He's got some weird. And then on the next page is 
Kirk is crawling around in all this. <laughs> and then you see him at that one spot and he's everything is red around Kirk. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's supposed to be lighting and or... it's such an odd angle. I mean, he's got everything sideways so he can fit it in there. I, I think he struggled with getting certain things happening on this on this page. And that's hard. That's when yeah, you're when you when I'm definitely. I'm sure to him when he was doing this, he was like, Oh, I could draw this so much quicker. I just draw it like here. And he's having to use images to yep. tell his story, and it's it's much more difficult. Yeah. Now that that image on the bottom of him and the transporter, is that him with himself from the enemy within? Uh, I'm sure that's where that, that scene's from. Okay. And then and what's that to the far right of Scotty? That looks like a photo of like space or nebula or stars, yeah. nebula, something. Okay. Okay. I can go with that. Yeah. And then Kirk's back on. And then I guess Gary's trying to. And I, well, I'm, I'm kind of curious about what you're saying that he's. Gary is trying to understand why Kirk saved him so he's having kirk relive these memories is he possibly doing this to see if kirk will do it again or as you said is kirk compelled to repeat what he did or is he compelled to repeat history or is gary trying to have him replay this to see well will he save me this time because kirk now that kirk knows well i think that if he was going to do that he probably would have replayed the moment of his death to see if kirk would would you know do the same thing again yeah, but then we wouldn't get to see these bits of stuff we haven't seen before. Right, right. That shot of Gary's face there at the bottom of of page twenty four, you know that that remind that, that imagery just reminds me of something else, more like a Santa Claus. What <laughs> Santa Claus? No, no. It's like Santa uh, Claus of me. It's reminding me of another book, and I'm trying to remember what it is. I I, I keep thinking of rising stars or. Or something else. I'm just not sure what it what it what it is that it, that it's reminding me of. Um, it looks like a t- kind of a typical comic talking head. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good close up of the of the control panel there on page 25, the helm. Mm-hmm. And 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 they know you know George Takei. He knows what every one of those buttons does. <laughs> or at least he pretends to. Yeah. And I love that that little thing he's got there, like Spock has. I don't know what they call that. That's just to me. I thought I don't know if that's a scanner. I always thought it was his targeting computer. Hmm. But wouldn't Chekhov be the one using that though? Since he's the helmsman, Chekhov would be the one that that's manning the weapons console, right? They both. Oh, no, they both do. Yeah. They both fire phasers, but that's the one that. Of course, that even that's that's changed from episode to episode because. A lot yeah. of times you, they fire. It seems like they fire them from the from the console here. Other episodes when it's needed, phaser they, control. Yeah, phaser control. It's basically, it's like on a battleship. It's like we'll fire, and it, okay, they punch a button down there. Doesn't yeah. make that doesn't make well, they sense. They punch a button here, which sends off a light down there. And they, <laughs> doesn't they, the punch a button? Another button down there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, as far as page twenty six go, the only thing that I found really jarring was. The middle panel, Kirk standing there with his hands behind his back, just looks so wrong. And it's almost like he's bigger. The, you know, the size perspective is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? And the panel to the left of that where he's saying taken, it almost looks like he's replaced the head there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A little yeah, bit. I, yeah. That's the hair. Oh, the hair even looks wrong there. Mm-hmm. I have another question. Why did Mitchell send Kirk back to the Enterprise? Because I don't think he's... Or is he still in the garden, but he's in his present day 
because he has to get beamed back down to the planet. Is it because are we assume now that Gary Mitchell is dealing with the illusion for Spock and McCoy and he doesn't have time, as Kirk says, he doesn't have time to put his attention on, doesn't, you know, to have his attention on this. So that's why they're in nothing because nothing's happening. They're kind of in a void because he's too busy creating the illusion for McCoy and Spock. I don't understand why he would send him back, why he would send him back to the Enterprise. Well, you know, he asked Kirk, you know, why did you save me at Kill Me? So I'm assuming Kirk told him, you know, remember what happened on that planet? You know, you took that for me, took that arrow for me. And I think that's why you see Spock and McCoy down in Demoris. Well, it's, and, yeah, because he doesn't, because that's not the same. That's a, that's a good question. Why is he showing Spock and McCoy that and not Kirk? Because the Kirk there is not the real Kirk. It's the Kirk of that time period. Right. Of course, yeah, he's, this almost seems like they had, to move the story along, he had to get Kirk up here. Spock couldn't be there, so he had to get Kirk back here for the, to basically solve the problem of, well, just back out the way we were. Okay, we discover we're out of his influence. Now go back where we were and transport me back down. Right. The, the one thing I don't understand is uh, down on the bottom of page 32, what is it that's leaping out? I, I couldn't actually make it out. I can't tell. That was my notes. I can't. For the, the couple times I show these rodent things, yeah, I have no idea of, what they are. In the top panel, top right panel on page 32 also, there's... I don't... They look like yeah. salamanders or something. I, they don't look like anything rodent-like. And yet they throw spears? I guess they do. Tip to poison. <laughs> like I said, this this whole sequence is, is probably his least successful because he's having to really take yeah. a lot of different pieces and combine them. He has to put Kirk in that jacket. He has to put Mitchell in that jacket. He has to create a new background for him, which is that looks like Vasquez Rocks. Yeah. I always call it Shatner Rock. Shatner Rock. Because it's got that, that one pointed thing where he fought the Gorn and the Lone Ranger rode his horse. And I always think of it as Shatner Rock. And I've I've been there and I highly recommend anybody, if you're a Star Trek fan, if you get a chance, it's about oh, it's about an hour north of northwest of Hollywood. Isn't there a um a cafe out there now? Mm, I didn't pass one. You go, it's just state park. Oh. You just kind of, what's funny, you just drive in. It doesn't cost you things. It's a state park. You drive in yeah. and you just drive down a dirt road and suddenly you drive around a corner and like, oh, there's where Kirk fought the Gorn. You can park right there. It's really cool. Yeah. Now, the the funny thing to me is, you know, they show and they show the one crewman. He gets hit by that spear. He's dead in just seconds. Mitchell gets hit in the shoulder and McCoy's got time enough to beam him up to the Enterprise and save his life. So to speak. Well, you can no prize that this guy does seem to be hit near or in the heart. Yeah. And maybe the poison is... He doesn't look as healthy as, as Mitchell either. Mitchell's, well, it seems like... I don't want to just get through this dark, but looks like Mitchell was running about 30 or 40 feet to get in front of Kirk. Yeah. Crazy. And take it in the back. Okay, so so after they see Mitchell save Kirk... They go back and boom, they're back at the Dilithium cracking station. They start talking with Gary Mitchell. Spock, you know, melds with him. Kirk comes back down. They do the, they um, mind meld with him to make him understand. And I mean, I think it was this kind of leap in logic, you know, okay, so he's one with the planet. Let's make him one with the universe. And it's just too big for him to, to be a part of it. 
Well, you think Does that makes sense? He's too big to be Gary's too big for. No, the universe is too big for Gary, so he gets spread so thin that he's no longer consequential. Oh, okay, so you're reading it as when he goes into, when he goes into the universe. Yeah, he is basically kind of dispersed and no longer. Yeah, because I mean, his power was diluted from what we saw in that episode. Okay. When it was just in him as his own vessel, all right. Mm-hmm. Now it was probably, and, and you saw his hairs turning gray, so it's probably burning him up real quick, mm-hmm. kind of like Count Nefaria thought was happening to him in that Avengers issue. Um, so he was going to have to go somewhere. So he goes to the planet, and he's part of the whole planet, and his powers kind of diluted a little bit, not a whole lot, but a little bit. So it makes sense. If you can continue him out, spread him out, he will just spread out until he's not consequential anymore. Now, as far as he's concerned, he's probably happier than a pig in slop. Well, he may become more, that was uh, my note, he's become like uh, the Organians, similar similar power to the Organians. Organians. Or Q. Or Q. Yeah. Or uh, I think more appropriate is Sargon, the the three beings that take over Kirk's body because they – Decide they can't, you know, they can't live amongst us because the power is, you know, too uh, too tempting for them to be in a human body. So they kind of just go into the cosmos. Uh, Sargon and his wife, Felisa, they kind of like to hear. They kind of let go and just kind of become energy. They don't, you know, they have their consciousness is gone. So maybe that's what Gary becomes kind of part of just part of the universe, part of the ether, part of whatever makes up everything make me one of everything one with yeah. everything <laughs> one with everything yeah well when he was with the planet it said he became mogo yeah now the looking at 35 36 i mean all these are really really well done compared to some of the uh, the previous pages and i think it's got a lot to do with the scenery that they have in the background he's got a lot to work with and it's not so jarring, so he's able to do a lot with it. You're talking about the red when he's given this red, kind of red-blue filter? Well, I hadn't thing. even gotten there yet. Uh, it, you know, 37 looks pretty decent, but when he gets to oh, that, okay. that, that imagery on page 38, and I know he's trying to, you know, sit there and talk about the chaos that's going on, and so he's got that that red and purple and, and orange and whatever, and yeah, that's not pretty. But, I mean... You remember episodes like the Alternative Factor where they used psychedelics like this? That's why. Well, I was thinking that yeah, that was a negative, uh, negative uh, effect they would do when Lazarus was fighting himself. But I kind of took this as maybe this is the last bit of kind of rage that's within Mitchell mm-hmm. that is that base emotion that he's hung on to for so long until Kirk. You know, not, my notes were the power of the Kirk speech because Kirk yep. basically talks him down. Yeah. Says, hey, you know, if you would have wanted to kill me, you should have killed me. You know, you're not the evil. You've, you were evil. Yeah, you were evil. Now you're not. It's a lot like the, there's a, there's a next gen episode. And I don't, is it called John Doe? Where they meet the race that's on the verge of jumping or, or evolving into pure energy. And they pick up the one alien that keeps having these, uh, like, spasms and it's because he's evolving and he becomes energy at the end now that was that a very late uh season episode 
I don't think so. I think it was early because uh, Gates, oh. Gates McFadden kind of has a crush on the guy. So it's probably season maybe three or four. If it was three or four, I'd remember it. Yeah. Transfiguration uh, is the episode of Next uh, Gen that I can't I mean, remember. It was season three, season episode 25. Seven. Um, a lot of those episodes I only watched like once. But I don't, and I, it, it, what you're describing, I'm just not recalling it. Star Trek is always running into some type of pure energy being, right. whether it's Q or, I mean, I mean, look at Charlie, Q. Charlie, Char- X. Charlie X. Although yeah. Charlie X to me would, I wouldn't put him as being pure energy. You think he was so human? He just had pretty vast psychic powers. But I yeah, mean, but the, Tr- the, the, Trelane, people that, the people that he right you know, right was with were, were pure energy. Right, right, right. The his step parents whatever but. yeah and like Trelane, but Trelane. You know, and and depending on on what you want to believe Trelane is was a, a, a younger q or Q you know, part of that at least i would have i would have <laughs> oh man but i you know the the things that he did towards the very end i thought were really good now of course there's that one sequence on page 43 where they show the you know the galactic you know the galaxy and the stars you get the three panel spread with Kirk and I mean uh, Spock and Sulu, and then you go to the transporter room, and somebody painted the wall purple <laughs> and green I, out in the hallway. I think that's some of that crazy uh, first season lighting, but I don't know why it's here. Is that Marla MacGyver's in the hallway? It looks like her. <laughs> it could be. It looks a little bit. And was McCoy wearing the short sleeve the entire time? No. 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 And that's. That's right. He's wearing a long sleeve, but there at the end, he's got say, the short sleeve. Yeah, on. and Kirk's got the tunic. He's changing to the green tunic. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. On the, on the next next page. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he's gonna sit there and talk to, you know, I guess she's Commodore. Yeah, she's Commodore at this point. You know, he's gonna look his best. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after he has to report what's going on. But it, it's funny because on on the previous page on forty three, you know, Kirk's beaming back aboard. He's still got his gold shirt on, but there's McCoy in the short sleeves, and that looks like a satin shirt too. Like a, a smock. Well, that smock always had a little bit of a sheen to it. It wasn't the yeah. same velour or whatever it was that they uh, that they wore. Now, in the in the crew comic books, he always drew the Commodore here, or number one as we know her from the episode, the the Cage or the mm-hmm. Menagerie, uh, as having that streak of white hair. But his photoshopping of it did not come across as uh, elegant. No, but. Here's my, I thought the same thing, but here's my, here's my no price. If they were to do, if this was actually being filmed in the 60s, how would they do that? They would use that kind of white paint that they always used. Think of the, uh, the deadly years when they all become old. They just painted that white, whatever it is, that white hair paint or whatever it is they use to make them up. That's what that looks like. So if you could say, well, he's made it, I think it's, you're right. I think he's just not very successful in photoshopping it, but you could say, well, it looks the way it would have if she was, this was an actual episode from say 69. Yeah. Character wise, um, Spock's reaction to the Commodore, uh, saying it is, it was a pleasant experience seeing you again. And then look on his face is very un Spock like. <laughs> well, he's kind of got He's got his eyebrow up. He's, he's got, got his like eyebrow. He's, up. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a little unusual. Now, is that George Lucas in the panel below in the hallway? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it might have been Roddenberry. Hmm. Ah, that's yeah. I don't know who that is. You see, I've seen Roddenberry in an original series uh, shirt. It was actually the um, the ones like they used in the cage. Mm-hmm. 
And it's in one of the Starfleet chronologies or one of those things. They actually have him as Robert April. Oh, okay. I've seen it, yeah. Which, as I understand it, Robert April always wore a cardigan on on the ship. So uh, I don't know why they would have had that. I don't know. I know they have Robert April show up in one of the animated episodes. More trouble. No, is it? No, no it's, it's not more trouble. Um, so. They go back. Everybody's aging backwards. Yeah. Or everybody's age. Yeah, they're de-aging. Yes, they're growing younger. I can't remember. They're top caught in some kind of time yeah. time it's loop been, or something. It's been forty years since I've seen any of those. I don't watch. I have not seen those as regularly as I have this episode. These episodes. They were on Netflix for a while. I don't know if there are anymore. I don't know. I've got the DVD case uh, set but that came you, out. You know, that's that's so funny because that was that series. Shatner actually phoned it in. <laughs> well, they all kind not, of phoned it in. Not all of it. Not all of it, but. Uh, he definitely phoned that in because that's also – isn't that where the infamous sabotage moment came from on the on the animated series? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I don't know if it, it comes from that. I've, I've heard the little clip where he's explaining, well, you say sabotage, I say sabotage. But yeah. I don't know if it came from – they could. Yeah. I'm not actually, I'm not is that familiar with those. But Well, we will kind of give some uh, final thought. Well, before we give our final thoughts, what do you think of this little ending with – McCoy basically saying, well, how come you didn't get superpowers? And Spock's like, well, what makes you think I don't have superpowers? Yeah, I mean, I mean, because, you know, he he's done things that I mean, I don't you know, we never were given the the rule book on what Vulcans can and can't do or how powerful the Vulcan, you know, mind powers are. But what Spock does, does here is definitely beyond, you know, much of much of the things we've seen him do before. Well, Spock's powers seem to be whatever the story needs him to be. Right. You know, so it's it's this not clearly defined, but I was wondering if this was his way of maybe trying to explain how Spock is able to come back in Star Trek 2 and 3. Is it because of these powers he's able to put his Katra into into McCoy and somehow that helped him be rejuvenated when he's on the Genesis planet and it helped when they were going to merge his minds back together. I don't that may have nothing to do with it, but I just thought, why would he? If because if not, it's just a kind of a throwaway little, as you say, it's that little. you know, winking a smile at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little, you know, you get it, you get it, kind of. So I, I didn't really like it. I thought that was the only thing it didn't. It felt a little untrue. Other than that, I thought it was a. I thought it was a pretty good first stab at trying to create a episode that. This easily, I could easily see this as an actual Star Trek episode because the dialogue, for yes. the most part, is is really accurate. He's got the voices down. There's a few missteps, but uh, I think it would have been, I think it would have been more interesting if maybe Gary had stayed with the planet, possibly, and he evolved from there, and and maybe he was going to create, and maybe he was going to rejuvenate the planet, and maybe it was going to become more Earth like. So that then again, his conscious could still fade more and more, and he would just be a, a like a living planet, but not a conscious living planet, not like uh, Mogo or ego uh, or ego or ego. You know, he'd be more like um, if you read the Marvel graphic novel Revenge of the Living Monolith. No, no, um, I I haven't read that simply because I've got a, a Mark Silvestri's artwork bo- has always bothered me. Oh, I really like the artwork in it. Mm. Well, I won't. Uh, I, if you haven't read it, I won't tell you how it ends. But it's something similar to this. I thought that would have been more interesting 
Yeah, I, I, I might be able to go back and read it now. It's just at the time, you know, what he had done in the X-Men, it, 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 he really chased me away from the X-Men, mm. you know. Um, yeah. And I know that, that later on he did other work that looks really, really nice. But he was part of that starting trend of, uh, to me, it was like a flash over substance and I wasn't liking it. I wasn't yeah. liking that direction. So I, I might be able to go back and read that that particular book because I, I what was it? Wasn't it painted or wasn't it? Uh, it has a kind of a painted style. Yeah, it's not not painted the way, say Alex Ross is, but it has a. Uh, was he uh, trying to uh, maybe be a little bit more like Neil Adams in his presentation, since he was doing a character Adams? I could see that. Yeah. I could I could definitely see. I think the story is pretty uh, pretty good story too, and yeah. it has kind of a. a an odd ending, but I was wondering what, why do you think Byrne chose this? Do you think he wanted to just tell, is this more of a fan? Like, like fans would do, you know, like, well, I wonder what happened uh, here. Like, like when he tells the other side of the story in the, uh, of balance of terror, when he does his Romulan story, did he just want to tell what happened to Gary? Did he, was he upset that there was a loose end? Did he want to, do you want to give Carrie a happy ending? Do you think? Do you want to, well, a more think, dignified death? I, I think it was you know giving giving Gary that more dignified death is a, is a good thing. It's one of those things that you feel yeah this should be done. And at, at the same you know at the same time you get to humanize Gary more and maybe show that you know being human isn't always the, the bad aspect of it. In so many of the power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Well, that it does it it. He he gets to redeem himself at the end, and I think if there's a kind of a theme to this, maybe it's the uh, the human spirit, which I know Roddenberry is, you know how that we are, our spirit is what is going to carry us to a better future, and maybe that's what the human spirit within Gary was able to overcome, kind of get past the point where he was corrupted, see that he. See a better way. I'm not explaining it very well, but you know, well, no, get above I, I, it and then kind of go off into the cosmos. Looking, looking at this story, if there was any other ending that you could do with Gary, and you know, being what he got, what Kirk had gone through with Gary in the actual episode itself, and the, the history that it shows that they had to sit there and do anything other than this would probably be a bad retread. You know, it's like people are sitting there slamming Star Wars The Force Awakens or the new Ghostbusters or, uh, you know, whatever else is being done that that is taking from something before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're kind of besmirching, besmirching the, the memory of what was before because they're it's it's like they're just treading over that that same ground again without giving anything new to it. Whereas here he wanted to be able to to address this story and continue on from it. it. It makes me think about what Harv Bennett and Nick Myers went through when they came up with the Rathacon because they went through the entire library of, of episodes of all the episodes trying to see what they could tie that, you know, that movie to. And, you know, they finally realized, yeah, Rathacon. But could you imagine if they had decided, hey, let's Let's bring Gary Mitchell back. Make him the revenge story. Oh wait, God wants revenge on you. So what do you do? How do you beat that? You know what they should have done? This just what? not occurred to me. What? They should have made Gary Mitchell the godlike character in 
uh, Final Frontier. Huh. Yeah, but see, then you wouldn't get a great line like, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> well, true. Indeed, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> Why does Gary Mitchell need a starship? Yeah, I, I mean, it would, it would, there were so many things they, they wanted to do with Star Trek V, and they got, you know, just ripped all over the place because of the writer's strike and everything else, the budgetary issues. Yeah. They couldn't get Sean Connery, which, who they wanted, which is why you got the name Shakari for the, the planet. Is that what the planet was called? Shakari, yeah. Oh, was yeah. he, was, they didn't want, did they want him for Cybok? Yeah, they wanted Sean Connery uh, for Cybok. I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure. I, I've heard stories of him turning down scripts because he doesn't understand him. Okay, he was in Zardoz. All right, he doesn't get to use that excuse. I think I think Zardoz was. I'm not doing <laughs> I, those bond checks aren't coming in anymore. I better do something. Oh gosh, oh yuck, uh. yuck. But um, and the other thing, you know, from Star Trek Five, uh, my my old friend Sean Kaufman, um, he uh, always had this image in his head that he just he. He had to tell us is Captain Kirk standing in that one room, you know, where he's got the captain's wheel Mm -hmm. and the plaque wearing boxers, (laughs) socks and garters (laughs) and a T-shirt standing in in that wheel just going. Vroom, you know, just (laughs) making making all sorts of driving sense. Anyway. Uh, that being said, I think uh, I think we we've taken this one where we don't don't want it to ever go again. <laughs> yeah, I think we've gone where no man has gone before. Now, you know, in regards to these, uh, the the stories are you know going on into them. The stories are very interesting. I've enjoyed all of them, and they're they're a good read. It's not a quick read. You you really have to take your time and read them to to catch everything. Oh yeah. There are moments where the the art and the technology that Byrne is working with is still not quite up to what I think he sees in his mind. You know, when you look at the the front of the the trade, I think there was uh, one of the, they showed one of the characters that looks like his uh, face looks like a paper bag with holes cut out of it. Yeah, that's um, I don't know what story that's from. A lot of these I haven't read. I've got them all, but a lot of them yeah. I have not read. Except for the one I read, <laughs> draw the curtain back a little bit. I read the wrong story, so we tried to record yeah, last yeah. night. I'm like, no, I didn't. I read the wrong one. So, but, yeah, I think that was my bad, though. No, no, it was it was just breakdown in communications. I think I don't nobody's fault. But uh, well, do you want to? Uh, do we have an idea of what we want to do for our next Trek uh, Trek special? Or I don't I haven't made up a mind about anything. So. Well, I, I think we ought to, you know, see how this one plays out. Uh, see what kind of reaction we get. Yeah, we we don't have any uh, emails or iTunes reviews or, uh, you know, David David Thompson's been nice to to sit there and write a few things on Facebook, and uh, we've you know done done a few things back and forth, but nothing really, con- you know, like like I would call a, an email or, or letter or anything. Well, we're getting so, a lot of, we're getting some stuff on Facebook, and I think a lot of people sometimes it just there's I know there's a lot of times I want to write emails to shows, and I either just don't have the time, or I've listened to it in my car, and by the time I get home, I'm like, well, I can't remember now what I wanted to respond to. So mm-hmm. I understand there. Are, I, I know looking at uh, on iTunes, our last I think our last episode had some pretty high downloads. So yeah, 
it, it sure did look like that. Yeah. Now, uh, but you know, looking at the future of this or what we're going to cover in Star Trek, we got a lot of things that Byrne did. There's over 500 pages of comic book art before he even started these for the, the new visions. So we've got the you know Dr. McCoy Frontier Medicine uh, crew, which is one thing I'd really like to get into and and cover some of that. Um, I, I've always been intrigued by the character of, of Number One. And to me, she was like one of my favorite things from from the cage. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't mind getting in and covering a little bit of that. But you know, we also like to get your ideas, what you think. Um, and, then there, and then there's assignment Earth as well. I'd really want to cover that. Yeah. So so we've got you know plenty to to look into this you know the next couple months as we lead up uh, to the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. We might want to, and and we'll, we'll talk about it I guess later. You know. This is also the 50th anniversary of the TV series Batman 66. And so maybe we'll, we'll do something else with Batman aside from what we've already done this year. Yeah, there's Burns doesn't have a lot of Batman, but he's got some Batman we can certainly... Uh, there was a Batman black and white that he did I thought was interesting. Oh, I didn't know he did a black and white. Yeah. And but and then there was a 3D. I didn't know he did a 3D. I would like to cover his all silent issue. Yeah, the many deaths of the Batman. That's that actually that I think I'd really like to cover that that one. Uh, that's a that's a real good one, and just the covers he did for those were beautiful. But he stayed away from Batman a lot in his his career until he did Generations. Yeah, that's another and, one we can we can. And I think that let him scratch a big itch as far as Batman is concerned because he got to cover Batman in so many different uh, iterations, right? And costumes to, and such, right? But you know, um, Michael is it Michael Bailey did something, or was it? Um, I'm trying to remember who did it. Someone did a uh, an episode about generations. This uh, was it. Was it Trinus? See, now I got to look because I don't want to get this wrong. Was it Trinus and John Wilson? Uh, no, no. I'm pretty sure it was Michael Bailey and maybe John Wilson. Uh, it, okay, it's it's uh, Gene Hem- Hendricks and yeah, Michael Bailey. So okay. yeah, it was it was part of the Hammer Strikes. Okay. The Hammer podcast. Okay. So yeah, and they they just covered part uh, one, which I guess is issues issues one and two of Generations, mm-hmm. and you know they've done a a, a really good write up of it and on, on the themes that are covered in there and the various you know characters. Uh, obviously they, they don't take apart the art like we do. And that's, I don't know, you know, it's like, I'm not going to say one way is better than the other. Cause I, I know I, I would definitely never want to you know, presume to say that, that the way that we're doing is better. I, people like one way, people like the other way. Yeah. For me, I like both. I like listening to that, that kind of discussion, but I also like what we do is we sit there and, and pour over it and find things that I hadn't thought of or considered, you know, yeah. on just a casual read. So so you know, well, that's, I, what we, that's what we I do. I really enjoyed their. I, I really enjoyed their show. So you know, if you haven't seen it, it's up on Two True Freaks, the Hammer Podcast, episode nineteen. Yeah, and um, I like all Jane stuff. Pretty pretty good coverage, but it also makes me want to cover the Captain America Batman book that that Byrne did that that inspired generations. Did you ever read that one? I've I've read it, but I I haven't read it in when it, since it came out. So it's been a long time. But that was that was really really awesome stuff, and uh, yeah, I, I'm wanting to go back and, and read all this stuff, and I'm gonna have to start digging into my collection, which I've got it all up on the plant ledge right now. So that means I'm gonna fall off the ladder and break my back. Hmm, that's not good. <laughs> well, just slugging so crawl to the mic, it's okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you got anything else? Nope. I think we have done a good job in our first episode. Uh, let yeah, everybody no, know that keep let me, look let forward me to these. Say this. I mean, my, my final thoughts here about about the whole thing. The the new Vision series is really really good stuff, and it's it's giving Byrne a chance to put something out there that's not necessarily his comic book art because. Uh, and you know, we don't necessarily go into the mind of the man that often, but you know, the, there is a, a part of him that is not liking the criticism that he's been getting about his art. People saying that, you know, it's not as good as his older stuff or whatever. And this allows him to, you know, continue to do the stories and can, and to show it in the way he wants to show it though. He's not doing the comic book art. The way he's scratching that itch is, you know, just the commissions and stuff that he's, you know, he's selling and he, he shows everything that he does on his website, burnrobotics.com. I'd say, though, that what we're getting is really, really good stuff. I don't know if, if that part of the medium itself is going to take off and, and turn into something else. I mean, it'd be interesting to see somebody do Smallville season 10 or season 11 this kind of way or even the adventures of Superman with George Reeves or, or Christopher Reeves story using this kind of photo montage. I could see the adventures of Superman. It just depends what is available that they can pull from. Yeah. But you've got what four seasons of George Reeves doing the, the adventures of Superman. Of course, two of them's in black and white and two in color. Yeah. If I remember right. And then, I mean, it, it just depends, you know, and, it would be great to have like one of those, and I talked about it, where you could sit there and pull the the characters from these and make a generation style story from the live action characters. Yeah, I could see that you do that. Yeah, yeah. Or, Just or depends or if somebody wants somebody wants to do it. Or maybe somebody I know that's really good at, at Photoshop could, you know, just make a poster for oh. generations using using you know all the various generations. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. That's that's possible. Who do we know that could do that? <laughs> but uh, if you really enjoy original series Star Trek, uh, I, I, I can't recommend this this series anymore. The cost, you know, again, uh, $7, $8 a book, you know, it does make you think about it, but it's worth it. But it's bi-monthly, so it's really yeah. the same as buying, if you buy a three ninety nine book every month, this is the same, but same it's cost. Thick. I mean, it's, it's... Yeah, it's dense. Yeah, it's dense. It's a good read too, and it's not just something that's that's a flash in the pan. It makes you think. There are, of course, you know the the limitations of what he has, and he's creating new ships and new things in there. And and, and you may, I don't, I don't know if I, I kind of bristled at some of it, but still, it didn't destroy the story for me. I still enjoyed re- reading it. No, I think with everything, you have to have a certain amount of you have to suspend your disbelief a certain amount to enjoy it, or I don't know why you're reading it. You have any last thoughts? Uh, it was a good, it's a good, good read. Uh, I look forward to reading the rest of them. Keep, uh, keep a watch out for more of these episodes. We're going to kind of sprinkle them in. Uh, we don't know what the schedule will permit, but we'll get, we'll get them out as, as often as we can along with our other, sh- our regular show. Yeah. And I'm going to hawk it one more time, folks, please. You know, if you're going to buy off of Amazon, be sure to use the link on the two true freaks webpage. It helps keep the lights on. Uh, it, it's a big help. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. I'm Tim Elliott.
Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t-b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing if you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the amazon link to shop this doesn't cost any extra but it really helps support the shows until next time this has been third degree burn Like I said, send a message to to Gene. He'll let yeah. you know whatever program he uses in Windows. And like I said, I think it's free to download. It's like Audacity. Okay, cool. All right. All right, bring us in. All right. Get it going again. And five, four, three. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. Okay, I'm going to leave that. Over. I'm going to leave that in there. <laughs> That's a Dr. Johnny Fever moment. <laughs> exactly. All right. Booger. No. <laughs> All right. What's funny is what I was laughing is I'm, when I'm counting down, I'm using the fingers like as if somebody could see me. Anyway, five, four, three.